Bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Pick of the Blitz podcast, hosted live on the Locker Room app, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Today is our Monday weekly Dolphins recap, recapping a wonderful Week 5 victory in South Florida for the Miami Dolphins, a 40-plus point offensive performance over the defending NFC champs. Lots to be excited about and lots to unpack on today's show. We were just talking about before the show started uh, about last week's All-NFL show. We all flubbed on the Falcons and Panthers pick Maxwell in the chat, giving us some some heat mm. for that. Um, so uh, definitely, I think we flubbed on a couple of picks, actually. There were a couple of upsets this week around the NFL, with the Dolphins, by the way, being one that we didn't flub, that I think Trevor actually... Uh, Trevor did flub it. Yeah, Trevor yes, for the 49ers. Uh, he uh, will uh, likely not be here on today's show, may come on a little late on Locker Room, but uh, probably going to be running today's show with, uh, without him. But Dolphins, I think, were like eight-point underdogs and ended up winning by 20... A whole lot. A whole, a lot, whole of lot of points. A whole lot of points. And it was nice to have, as Nick and I were saying before the show started, some sort of a victory Monday in Miami after a tough Miami Heat loss. Us being from South Florida and obviously Heat fans. But uh, this is a football show, so we'll be talking mostly Dolphins football today. Um, Initial reactions. Let's just jump right into your initial reactions, my initial reactions from the win. What were some of the primary takeaways that you you were really looking at uh, uh, from that game? I think my my initial reaction to everything that we watched was just like a sigh of relief and a finally, because we finally saw... Every piece click at the same time, right? Yeah. So every every piece, the the passing game was stellar. The running game was good enough to not hurt the team. the The offensive line paid, played respectably, especially with the uh, with the loss of Austin Jackson, who went on IR. Solomon uh, Kinley, I'm sorry, Robert Hunt uh, stepping in there, huge for this team. That was that that was awesome. The the pass rush was there, which I had been complaining about for weeks. The linebacking unit played well, um, especially uh, especially Jerome Baker, who I actually identified as one of those guys who I thought really needed a good game uh, this week, and he played great. Uh, Van Ginkle, I, I think just everything. The secondary was on point. Jason Sanders hasn't missed a field goal all year. Uh, the only thing that maybe wasn't on point was Jakeem Grant fumbling, but the way the Dolphins are muffing the punt, he didn't fumble, he muffed it, but that, that didn't even stop him. Like that, that was everything was going so well for Miami that even a muff punt that put put the Dolphins' offense on their five yard line didn't hurt them. It was it was literally everything working perfectly, and I just love finally being able to say that because it's not it's not been often in the last well uh, probably in this last century. <laughs> it's been a really really long time, and you said everything was clicking. It's like it's the epitome of what you hear announcers call complimentary football, which always seems like such a throwaway term, like a football term that like, you know, sounds, sounds good to say, but this was the epitome of that, right? Every single piece was complimenting the other. The offense was putting together long drives and thereby keeping the defense off the field, allowing the defense to stay rested. The defense by comparison was giving the offense a short field by holding Jimmy Garoppolo and then eventually CJ Beathard to essentially a bunch of three and outs and turnovers on the 49ers end of things. And the special teams, like you said, Jason Sanders right now looks like a top five kicker in football. He's hitting it short, long, and every single time. 
extra points and field goals. He just he looks fantastic out there. That seventh round pick looks pretty well worth it right now. I think it was Darren Rizzi who Dolphins former special teams coordinator found Jason Sanders and he's looked great by all accounts this year. Matt Hawk playing pretty well also on special teams. The whole team really looked uh, fantastic. And what a difference Byron Jones made. What yeah, difference. Uh, I think Byron that Jones was, that when you look at units, right, and you think about week-to-week progression, I think the secondary is the unit that made the largest jump in terms of how they performed against the Seattle Seahawks, which was atrocious, to what we saw yesterday, where that, you know, obviously the there were a lot of problems from the 49ers side of things, and it's not... Uh, we, we need to take this win in a, with a little bit of context, knowing that a lot of their team was hurt, uh, especially their secondary. Um, but on the on the defensive side of the ball for Miami, they played against a pretty decent offensive unit in, in the 49ers. And that secondary just finally you finally saw what the point of shelling out all that money was. Xavier Howard played great. Byron Jones played great. Bobby McCain played great. But of all those guys. Eric Rowe was probably the most impactful for what he did in shutting down George Kittle, yeah, right? Eric who is by was far the their best weapon on, on that roster. So I think just from a, from a total perspective, that secondary finally did what you wanted it to do. And maybe, unfortunately, it was because Igby wasn't out there as much, and I hate to say that because mm-hmm. I love him. Um, but uh, Eric Rowe stole the show. He really did. He, I think he had... He had Kittle on, uh, I think Kittle had like eight targets for four catches. Rowe wasn't on him for all of those, but when he was, he held him down well. And when he was on him, it looked like the 49ers were avoiding throwing his way, which also makes a difference, right? It's not all about just the completions or yards you give up. It's also, and you saw this with Byron Jones. I think he gave up like, uh, I think he gave up like two or three of four targets, for, but for minimal yardage, but he was only targeted four times. And that 49ers team was down a lot and had to throw a lot. So the fact that they didn't even want to throw Byron Jones's way means a lot. And you mentioned you mentioned Igby, no Igbenogany, Dolphins first round pick. He only played like ten percent of the team's defensive snaps, which is obviously disappointing for a first round pick. But that's okay right now. If you're if you have Byron Jones on one side and Xavier Howard on the other, and you have um, Jamal Perry who played pretty well at nickel, Nick Needham. Nick Needham got a bit of flack for a, a pretty bad penalty, which I'm not even sure should have been called by the way. But Nick Needham got uh, some flack for a penalty. He also Gave up a couple of catches there in the slot. He was by no means perfect, but played okay. Uh, Eric Rowe and Bob McCain also had uh, excellent games, as, as you already mentioned. So if Igby comes along a little slowly, uh, that's that's fine. I mean, he got roasted for the first four weeks of the year. Now you have Byron Jones back. You let him sort of, I guess, develop uh, and come along as he's ready. Because we know he has all the tangibles, right? Super athletic. Uh, from all accounts, from coaches and, and very pre-draft physical. support, very physical, very smart. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not counting him out after four he, games. No, I don't, and I don't I don't think it would be fair to do so. Listen, he he had to go up against some of the top receivers in the game right out the gate. Not many players are going to be successful at that with no preseason, let alone any rookies. So uh, it is nowhere near the time. Like we, I don't even want to say the words. He's going to be fine. Yeah, and but it was nice. It was nice to see some of those other guys, like you said, kind of step in. And and Igby wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary for him to be for him to be played as often because the other guys were playing in a in an ab, admirable. Um, they were playing admirable snaps where they weren't hurting you, even if they were giving up some plays. Exactly, and and going up against obviously and Igby was group. hurting them. Sorry, <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. Uh, Garoppolo's hobbled and Beathard's not great, but I think a lot of credit should be given 
to this Dolphins secondary. And I want to give a lot of credit, too, to Xavier Howard because Xavier Howard, he had the pick last week on the Russell Wilson uh, end zone throw to Metcalf. But aside from that uh, interception in the end zone, Xavier Howard gave up six of seven completions for a lot yeah. of yards to DK yeah, Metcalf. He, he was not, not good in the Seattle game. And he came into this game and was absolutely locked down. He was phenomenal. I think he gave up like one catch or maybe two. I was looking at the stats earlier, but he was fantastic. Him and Byron Jones together is going to make it very difficult for opposing uh, offensive coordinators because, you know, on his own, without Byron Jones on the other side and with a struggling Igby, Stephen Howard is expected to shadow and lock down Metcalf, who by all accounts right now looks like he's going to become one of the top five or ten receivers in the NFL, especially with Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. So, sure, he's given, you know, a bit of a bad hand when Byron Jones is on the field, when both of them are on the field. It's 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 scary. Xavier Howard has the most interceptions. I don't know if you saw this stat. It was running around Dolphins Twitter yesterday. The most interceptions since December of 2017. And in that span, he's missed 15 games. And yeah, he still somehow has the most interceptions. When Xavier Howard is on, he's on. And there's no questioning it. He is a top-tier cornerback. It's just you didn't see that in the first couple of weeks, which was I, – I think, I think I can speak for both of us. It was a little concerning in the first couple of weeks because he just yeah. did not look good. Um, but – you know, I think what you saw, I think what you saw on Sunday or yesterday, wow, it's been a long day, <laughs> yesterday, um, shows you just how capable this unit can be um, and how effective this unit would be. So I, I, kudos to the entire secondary for having a rebound game for the, for the entire season, really, um, except for maybe that Jacksonville game, which we know what Jacksonville has become, even though we were touting them kind of early in the year. So th- this was Everything that you needed to see for this Dolphins team to make you feel good about them, you saw it on on Sunday, and it was perfect. And we talked complimentary football between defense and offense, but the complimentary football played on the defensive unit just itself was also fantastic. The pass rush was finally hitting home, which obviously helps the secondary because you forced some errant throws. There were five sacks from five different players. I have been I have been screaming for the pass rush to happen and to be more effective since we started this season. I've been screaming for since we started this podcast show, Justin. I've been I've been screaming for the pass rush to do something. I grew up oh, I remember I grew up in an age where you watch Jason Taylor just dominate opposing offensive linemen. And that's what we haven't had in Miami. We had Cameron Wake, but we had nothing complimentary to that. And with the with losing Wake um, over the last couple of years, it's just there's no one been that's been stepping into that role to to effectively rush the quarterback um, and be a consistent threat. But you might not need that consistent threat if you can get sack production and pass rush production from anywhere. And, you know, that might be the, the goal of this Dolphins defense, although I still don't think it's the best idea. But if you can get pressure like that from from multiple guys, including five sacks, what's wrong? what's wrong with that? Yeah, Flores seems to be going for that, like, pass rush by committee approach, which is always a little scary because then if if the other team out-schemes you, you have no one player who can just overpower a game, like, uh, you know, an Aaron Donald, like Khalil Mack, like a Von Miller, like a Joey or Nick Bosa. So you have none, none of those guys to sort of uh, dig you out of a hole if the other team is out-scheming you or the offensive line is just that good. But... It worked here, and if he could continue to scheme up pressure that way with these creative blitzes, then by all means, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a little scary of an idea in terms of the fact that you do want that that marquee guy. But listen, five sacks is five sacks, and that much pressure is that much pressure. 
there were a couple guys in particular who forget the sack numbers were also just regularly generating pressure or tackles for loss. Zach Sealer, who, by the way, I wasn't expecting to see on the field like ever this season, <laughs> has really come on strong. And Andrew Van Ginkle, was it last year's or two years ago? Uh, I think it was last year's pick. fifth round pick. Fifth, fourth, yeah, fourth or fifth round pick. He he also is with all that hair flowing in the wind, generating quite a bit of. He's doing his best Chase Winovich impression and generating quite a bit of uh, of, of pressure as well. He he looked really really strong this game. I hope to see him more on the field. He got a lot more snaps this week uh, without Shaq Lawson on the field than he had in in previous weeks, and that was nice to see because he was coming on strong as well. And then I think the others who got the sacks were Roberts, Landon Roberts, Jerome Baker. And maybe Wilkins got in there for a sack. I'm not 100% sure he did. Yeah, I think, I think it was Wilkins, and Wilkins had the fumble recovery on the Ogba sack, if I remember correctly. Oh, oh yeah, and Ogba. Ogba got, got, a, got a sack in there as well. And he, by the way, has looked pretty strong. He's been generating consistent pressure. And the real reason we brought him in, also setting the edge, he's been setting the edge in the run game pretty well also. No, I completely agree. And I think you, I think um, Van Ginkel was another one of those bright spots because you didn't really know – how he was going to play. Um, we're seeing an increased workload because of the Shaq Lawson injury. Um, I, I was very impressed. And I kept, I kept thinking to myself, man, I keep, Van Ginkle is not only always on the ball, but he seems to always be making the right plays. I was very impressed with him. Um, I, th- I think him and Rowe were the two guys I was just like, I was floored by their performance. Now, can you get that week in and week out? I don't know. But I will gladly take it in a 40-point uh win against the, not a 40-point differential, but, you know, a big win against the 49ers. Yeah, consistency is going to be key, which, you know, obviously looking towards next week against the Jets, you're hoping that you could continue to have that good of a defensive performance (laughs) when you're going against, you know, Joe Flacco. And Adam Gase, who you know, know, it's going to be real sad, and I don't want to jinx it, but it's going to be really sad. We talk so much trash about the Jets. If this is where they get their first win, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, let's not let's not even go there. But what you know, you know what else I found interesting? I saw on Twitter about Adam Gase, and I think I think we've found a way to trash him on pretty much every show over the past couple of weeks. I and we're not even on, trying to; it just happens. No, he just lends himself to it. Um, he apparently is willing. Uh, a reporter asked him, "Would you consider giving up play calling duties?" And Adam Gase, one of the proudest human beings on the face of the planet, said, "I will consider doing anything at this point." To get a win, the dude. Like, uh, I mean, if you followed Miami sports, you know, any any listeners, if you have followed Miami sports for the past bunch of years, and you have heard Adam Gase's press conferences, and you know Adam Gase, you know that for better or for worse, the dude is really proud and really stubborn, right? And mm-hmm. he will. He. I don't think he ever was willing to give up play calling duties when Miami's offenses were struggling. The, the, he nope. he thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. So to get Adam Gase to say that, you got things are really really bad in New York right now. Uh, yeah, agreed. <laughs> I, I'm very excited for this matchup because I'm hoping it's going to be another one of those games where we just do everything just clicks at the right time. But we can, you know, we can look ahead to that. You know what else I found really interesting from this past weekend is so the Dolphins figured out a way to get screwed again by the Patriots without doing anything. So so Belichick so those, way. I just don't. I just don't understand it. The, the Dolphins had three of their games rescheduled because of the Patriots' positive COVID test. The, the Dolphins haven't had a single positive test. They haven't done anything, and yet because the Patriots did something, we get screwed by it. Which has been the the Dolphins' history in a nutshell in the last twenty years. 
Yeah, so let's talk about this the schedule restructure for a second. So Jets game, this so this was the Jets game that the Dolphins had had back to back Jets games. It was Jets by Jets. I think for weeks 11, 12, and 13, or 10, 11, right. 12. Right. That first one is now moving to next week, week six. Right. And then the Chargers game that was supposed to be week seven now moves to, I think it was week 10 to when that Jets game was supposed to be. And then the Dolphins bye week moves to week seven. So now the Dolphins have a bye week seven. And then the Broncos game also moved. That's, that was next week. So yeah, the Broncos game that right. was supposed to be next week is now moved as well. That's, the, that, that's those three games. Does this, I mean, there are a couple of storylines here that will play into it. Does it impact when we see Tua play, which is obviously going to be heavily impacted by the offense that we haven't even touched on yet from this week's game? And does it impact, well, how else do you see it impacting Miami's season? And obviously anyone well, in listening and in the chat right now, feel free to chime in this on this as well. So let's, let's assume that the Dolphins, um, you know, play well against the Jets this coming Sunday. I think, I think that's going to be good for the Dolphins because it'll give them the opportunity to kind of keep that momentum going and continue to build on that momentum. Um, obviously, you know, playing the Jets more or less back-to-back is always like a fun idea, um, especially considering how poor the Jets have played. Um, I don't think it changes the Tua timeline because I don't think the Tua timeline was predicated on who they were playing. I think it was when the time was right. And, that you know, I don't think I don't think that's going to be this week. I don't think they're going to make the switch after what we just saw out of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had the greatest, uh, one of the best performances of his career and the best QBR rating of the for the season for the season um, at that ninety nine point one that he had out of a hundred. So and he had a hundred and fifty four pass rating. You don't bench that guy um, at this point. So I don't think this changes the Tua timeline at all um, because I don't think. You can't you can't bench the hot hand like this. And I think Brian Flores even came out and said it, you know, because somebody, I guess, asked him yesterday, why didn't you put Tua in, um, you know, just to hand the ball off? It's like, well, why would I do that? You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense. There was no point in that. I think this is another one of those situations. There's no point in moving on to a different quarterback um, when he is hot right now. Listen, if he, strings against, if he puts up a stinker against the Jets, I can see, you know, the calls for Tua uh, becoming louder. Um, but for right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick definitely has a starting job for next week. There's no, there's no way to take that away from him. There's no logical way to take it away from him. Yeah, if somehow, some way, by some grace of God, Fitzpatrick cannot lead the Dolphins to a win over the Jets, then I think you use that bye week. It's like, okay, perfect. The, the bye week is now next week, uh, or week seven, if you're talking about the perspective of, from next Sunday. And then you use that bye week to prepare to, uh, to start. But you're totally right. And if anyone watched that game and you see players' reactions from Fitz scores, and even more importantly, if you hear what they say about him at the press conference, Mike Kosicki was interviewed after this game and was asked about playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Mike Kosicki said Ryan Fitzpatrick is hands down the best teammate he's ever had. And then if he could play with Ryan Fitzpatrick for, quote, the next 15 years, he would be ecstatic to do so. Mm-hmm. That tells you all you need to know. And I don't think that's any negative about Tua, no slight to Tua at all. I mean, if you heard the context of the conversation, that's not what they were talking about. But, right. And you could see even uh, when, when Ryan Fitzpatrick scores, Tua runs onto the field and they hug each other. I think Tua is just as much loved as a player and a teammate. We've heard all those things from Alabama, from coaches and, and players. Uh, but God, do they love playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's like yeah. everyone's favorite teammate ever. And as long as he's playing well, there is no reason to pull him. As long as he's playing well, let that fun ride. Let it, let's ride it as long as we can. 
yeah, it's he's just he's fun to watch. He's fun to root for. Apparently, he's really fun to play with, and he's winning. And you know, I listen. I have Tua on my dynasty football team. I am as big a Tua fan as anyone else out there, and I really want to see him play. But I want to see him play when the time is right. And if it's not right right now, it's not right right now. If Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we use this time, to, you know, let's talk about the offense now. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Was, I wanted to talk about your fantasy team. Didn't you just reference them? I was hoping. I, after I mentioned it, after I mentioned it, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have mentioned it. We should just skip right past it. My team, my team was so bad against you this week. Oh, my goodness. I, Carson Wentz has been the bane of my fantasy existence. Oh, he had a middling score this week because he managed a bit of a comeback against the Steelers, even though he ultimately lost. But God, was my team horrible again? And your team wasn't even very good. You you went under no, the projections was, by quite a bit. It was it was my. You could still win, Justin. Don't don't hit your kid yourself. I would need Will Lutz to have like five fifty yard field goals in order to be. Yeah. and team. I would need Keenan Allen to just basically you know not play. So I had I had DJ Chark who uh, not only underperformed but then got hurt by the end of the game. And just in case anyone wanted to keep a tally, I now have. Uh, yeah, oh Chris Godwin hurt, Marlon Mack out for season, Dallas Goddard on IR, Cortland Sutton on IR, Drew Locke like, broke his shoulder, although he might come back soon, Noah Fant has an ankle problem, Julio Jones hasn't played because of a hamstring injury, and now I may lose DJ Chark as well to some sort of back problem. And I don't Melvin think there's Gordon been a more... COVID. Well, the whole Broncos team, I think I got to put on, because <laughs> Sleeper allows you to put uh, postponed yeah. players on. So my whole Broncos, because I had like three Broncos guys. And then, so now I lose DJ Shark as well. I think I might have the most injury-ravaged fantasy team in our entire league. It's very upsetting. I'm down to playing Olamide Zacchaeus from the Falcons. So I I saw that person, and I I thought it was made up. I thought that because your team was so decimated, Sleeper gave you the ability to create your own player. No, and and if it did, I I would not. First of all, I don't think I could come up with the name Olamide Zacchaeus. And beyond that, I would have given, I would have had him give me more than one catch for like 15 yards. So, and Scotty Miller played like 75% of the Buccaneer snaps and Tom Brady threw like 45 times. Not one of them was targeted to Scotty Miller. <laughs> not one, not one of 45 yes. throws when he played 75% of the uh, my fantasy rant is... I'm sorry. Is, yeah, I'm sorry. Over. I didn't mean to get you going, I'll, but I'm I'll glad leave I it did. at that, but I'm very upset about my dynasty. My redraft team, however, by the way, is, is in a different league doing doing much better. I think I'm 3-2. So, you know, so I'll take the okay. wins where I can. Yeah, you um, have to. So, sorry anyway, for the Anyway, the offense. Rant. The offense. <laughs> the offense. I, I loved it. I, I mean, I thought Ryan Fitzpatrick did was... You? No, actually, it was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick just looked... I, I don't know. I, I, I've watched a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick because he just happens to show up on TV all the time over the course of his career. Um, and, you know, you see some good, you see some bad. But what we saw out of Fitzpatrick was – I can't say it was his best performance because obviously I haven't seen every snap the guys ever played, but it has it to be been. up there. Yeah, it yeah. has to be up there with top three performances in his career, what you saw on Sunday. And, and it happened when he's, you know, at, at this – well past his prime – um, is is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he was able to hit routes that he he had a couple passes that were perfect touch passes. That one huge play to Kasiki that went for seventy yards was a perfect touch pass right over uh, the defender. 
the the pass uh, to Devontae Parker for the touchdown after they took the sack and they ended up with the ten yard penalty that they were in a third and twenty two and they and he hit that perfect touch pass to Devontae Parker in the end zone. I think just what you saw was pure perfection. Even if he didn't get like statistical perfection with that perfect passer rating, what you saw was perfect because you saw the poise in the pocket that you want. You saw the ability to throw the football down the field multiple times uh, that you want. And most importantly, and this is a huge fix from last week, they they scored touchdowns. They didn't just settle for field goals. They scored touchdowns, although they got a lot of field goals. But they got a lot of points in a lot of different ways. They scored touchdowns when it mattered, and, and which put the game away very early. And that's that's the type of offense that this team is built for, and that's the type of offense that they should be expecting on a, on a pretty weekly basis. Yeah, and we finally saw the reemergence of Preston Williams, who Finally, struggled, geez. Yeah, who struggled quite a bit over the start of the season with drops and slips and sort of just not showing up when we needed him. And Preston Williams showed that, okay, he's back. He can really be the number two wide receiver. It was four catches for like over 100 yards. Uh, was a really a, a strong downfield threat and a downfield presence for this team, which is really nice opposite Devontae Parker. Uh, you know, to have two guys who were able to stretch the field in that way. Preston Williams also being quite big, able to body defenders at the point of the catch. So that was uh, fantastic to see from him. Elsewhere on offense, like you said, Mike Kosicki, after a two-game slump, came back like yeah, a madman and just ran everyone over on that 70-yard. That 70-yard, I think there's a couple of stiff arms in there. Obviously, like you said, a great throw from Fitzpatrick. So Kosicki's back, finally, uh, after that bit of a two-game slump. So there are the offensive pieces. We saw pretty much... Everyone contribute. Gaskin, though he wasn't the most efficient running back uh, this week, certainly showed that he's able to keep uh, keep the, the full load at running back. He, like I said, wasn't necessarily churning out six, seven-yard chunk plays. But what I like about Gaskin is I almost never see him tackled behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. Very few negative plays with Gaskin. And then they even got my favorite player, Matt Breida, involved with a little a little dump pass that he took for uh, 30 plus yards down the sideline. He got to put up against this former team. The only player that we didn't see on the field was Jordan Howard. <laughs> Jordan Howard was yeah, an we'll athlete. have Yeah. Healthy scratch right before the game kicked off. Yeah. That's, so he couldn't, he couldn't get his one yard touchdown, which is, you know, so sad. He had such a streak. Uh, he had such a streak going and, and that that's, I think right now based off the last off season, and what we've seen so far, I think it's pretty easy to say and safe to say at this point, that, that will be, Chris Greer's biggest blemish on the offseason to pay that man $10 million to sit on the bench is, is a little bit unfortunate. I, I agree. I think um, – I, I hope something changes. Um, but, yeah, by far the, the most disappointing um, – at the season ended today, the, definitely the most disappointing signing, which is unfortunate because I had a lot of high hopes for him. But, no, I think the running game was good. I think I don't think it was great, like you said. But I think it, I th- it did enough to help you and not hurt you. Is, is what, and that's really what you need. Uh, from a running game nowadays is you don't need Saquon Barkley. You don't need Ezekiel Elliott. You need some degree of competence so that they don't actively lose you games and they're enough of a threat to keep you from getting yourself in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what that's what Gaskin has done thus far. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami goes out and gets a running back through draft or free agency this offseason. Actually, I'm expecting it. But Gaskin for now is certainly a... Uh, a serviceable, a serviceable help in that regard. Now, I think my favorite thing I saw this week, maybe even more so than the secondary in the defense, was the offensive line, even sans mm-hmm. Austin Jackson. Oh, even yes. sans Austin Jackson. Tell me, tell me what we thought from the offensive line. 
No, I thought it was great. I thought, especially with the shifting that took place, right? You move Jesse Davis to left tackle. You put Robert Hunt in for his first start. I think they played great. I mean, the running game wasn't absurdly good, but it was good enough, which is, you know, a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. Um, Fitzpatrick was sacked, what, twice? I think it was. And one of them was where he was uh, running around for a little while, where it yeah. was more of a coverage issue than it was a, a protection issue. Yeah. I, you know, this is this offensive line is is the bright spot, and we've said this, and Trevor said it, and you've said it, I've said it. By far, the brightest spot of this entire team has been the offensive line because they have, since day one, been good. Whereas other teams have kind of caught, or the units have caught up to them from day one, they were impressive. And and it shows that this team, you know, with losing Jackson and being able to start Hunt, they got a lot of depth, too, which is really important for an offensive line because you need five quality guys at all time. And if you can just shift Jesse Davis over, move Robert Hunt into that uh, starting uh, tackle spot, you know, you are just – if you can just play around like that with this unit, that's such a, a, good, a good thing for this Dolphins team. And I realize the sexual innuendo of what I just said. That that's the key, the the depth. <laughs> I'm seeing a ride right past it. That's that's the key. <laughs> the because the the Dolphins over the past five, six, seven years, it's not like they've been completely deficient of any talent on the offensive line, right? There was Mike Pouncey, there was Jawan James, there was Brandon Albert, and of course Laramie Tunsil. There have been talented players, but as soon as someone went down, the wheels just totally fell off the entire year. Right. Right? As soon two as or one three guy, good players, not exactly, five. Exactly. And so now you have this unit of five. Austin Jackson goes down. You shift Jesse Davis over to left tackle, which honestly to me was a concern right off the bat because Jesse Davis is serviceable at right tackle. He's like he's fine. He's, he's generally solid, but he played pretty well in this game at left tackle. And then you're putting in Robert Hunt, who the team was not confident enough in to beat Jesse Davis at right tackle. The team is not confident enough in to start over the course of the season. He played like one or two snaps a game in goal line formations when they had like seven linemen on the field. And now you're plugging him in at right tackle, which, by the way, eventually, in case we've all forgotten, will be to his blind side. And they're expecting him to play well. And he, he I don't know if you saw there was one particular block where he like, he like, like blindside the movie. He completely ran the guy all the way down the field, like seven or eight yards past the pile. It was hysterical. Yeah. He looked, he looked like the mauler that everyone says he is. Solomon Kinley had another solid game, too. And I just tweeted this out uh, a couple hours ago. The Dolphins have now started three offensive linemen uh, this year who are rookies. Not a single not a single play have any of these three rookie offensive linemen yielded a sack. Not one. <laughs> you know what? If the, Dolphins, if the Dolphins could find their offensive line for the next 15 years in this one draft, then, then this, this is – then half of the problem is solved for this team and and this and this dynasty that you want to hope comes with Tua is is just going to be easier to develop because offensive line play is such an underlooked but important aspect of football and if the Dolphins could find three quality guys as rookies who can play and are only going to get better I mean goodness uh, Chris Greer is going to be around for a long time if he can if he can keep doing that yeah, damn right. I mean, Ethan Ethan says in the chat that he took the Dolphins money line two hours before the game. Ethan, I hope oh, you're good enough on that because that was that was a solid move. I was talking to a friend of mine about about some bets before the games, and uh, I wasn't even confident enough to to take to take the Dolphins money line on on that. Despite the fact that I picked them, I wouldn't tell my friend to put money on them because I feel like that's that's another stretch altogether. But yeah, it was uh, that was definitely a, a solid move on your part. And with regards to the draft. 
Chris Greer, I've given Chris Greer a lot of flack because he's made a lot of misses both in free agency and the draft. I've talked with friends who want Chris Greer as fired as fired can be, or at least have in the past. But this draft, while not perfect, I mean, we've seen Igby struggle. Raekwon Davis hasn't done a whole lot. Those are both two pretty high picks. If the offensive linemen hit, like you said, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, and Solomon Kinley, and Tua is able to come in and play well, that's, I think, more than you could have even hoped for. I, it was a huge draft class. You're not going to hit on every pick. And while I hope Igby, and I still think he can, uh, develop into a solid playmaker in the back end, and while I hope Raekwon Davis, his lack of uh, involvement has been more um, more a product of Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer and even Devon Godshaw playing well in there, if, if these three offensive linemen would hit, then kudos, all kudos go to Chris Greer for being able to find those kind of gems, especially because people thought he took Jackson and Hunt too high. Uh, yeah, a lot of people were very critical of those picks, but if you can get if you can get your first four draft picks in any draft, regardless of positioning, if you can get your first four draft picks to be stud players, then 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 you're a top GM in this league. And if you can get Tua, if if Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Noah Igbenogany, if those guys can play, then why would anyone want to see him fired? You've also you know you've seen your fourth round pick also came in. And has has shown that he's uh, a potentially a quality star in the NFL and Solomon Kinley, right? You you have so much. Anyone calling for Chris Greer's firing needs to chill for a second. Everybody, you know, listen. A lot of he made a lot of misses. Yes, Charles Harris was a poor decision, right? But everybody has one one or two of those poor decisions in their career. Yeah, and I also still I don't know. People say this is just chance, and it very well might be. I've been in none of these rooms or none of these discussions. But I still give him credit for the smoke screen that was the entire Dolphins lead up to people thought they were trading up for a tackle at the top of this draft. Like I still yeah, credit Greer at least somewhat for that smoke screen that I think in part, at least in part, caused Tua to fall to five. Maybe not. Maybe everyone was that terrified of the hit. Or maybe everyone was that comfortable with Herbert if Herbert fell, like the Chargers seem to be. But that, I still credit him a bit for that smoke screen too. Credit being yeah. given, of course, to us able to produce. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we've covered all the position groups from that game. But was what else you got? Is there anything else you wanted to go over before we uh, before we sign off for Monday's recap? Honestly, I honestly I have to say that it just was a quality performance, and I'm just I, I hope that they can do the same thing. I, I you know I say that very hesitantly because. Historically, the Dolphins have not been very good in those games that they're actually favored in. So um, I, I say that very hesitantly, um, very cautiously optimistic about it carrying over. But for at least this one week, let's enjoy this. Yeah, especially given the fact that it was on the road, given all the craziness that's gone on. But yeah, hopefully it can carry over to next week. I don't want to call it a layup. I don't want to call it a gimme because that's, let's say you run a division opponent. You can't do that. Yeah, especially given how. Uh, you know, how Adam Gase is known to hold grudges and that kind of thing. You know, you never want to, you never. oh, and by the way, speaking of coaches and maybe, you know, we've seen Adam Gase pile on Brian Flores in this game. The going forward on the fourth down on like his own 35 or something, they're not going for it. Fake punting with Clayton Fajedalim, 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 I don't know how to pronounce it. Yes, that. yes, yes, Thor's brother, that. yes. Exactly. What he did on that um, fourth down fake punt, I thought was wonderful and very, very nice to see. And I'm sure and you know what? Thinking, yeah. And, and that for me is not taking your foot off the gas. Yeah. That's 
that's what I was asking for a couple of weeks ago when they were playing the Jaguars, where I said, thanks for winning. Why'd you stop playing football? Why'd you let your foot? Why'd you let up? Because if you let up, you make mistakes. And you let teams back in. They did not let up. They kept their foot on. This literally, this game fixed all the problems that we have been complaining about so far for this year. Yeah, exactly. And people talk about you are what your record says you are. I don't know if that's even a fair, I don't know if that's a fair thing to say about this Dolphins team, given the fact that they played it, you know, three very, very competitive uh, playoff caliber teams and kept pretty much all of those games uh, for pretty much the entirety of those games pretty close. And that would be the defending NFC champ. So, uh, you know, two and three, but like you said, very, very cautiously, very, very optimistic uh, going forward for this Dolphins season and certainly for the future beyond. Amen. You know, I just looked up. Charles Harris is on the Falcons. Do you think that's why they're 0-5? <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would say there's at least some sort of correlation. There there's got to be at least some sort of correlation. At least some sort of correlation. If there. you're a Falcons fan out there, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, that it's, is it's an unfortunate. <laughs> and un, it's, it's, it's so prime Falcons to be that unlucky given their start of the season. Saul in the chat is saying at some point people will start to see what we have in Greer and Flores, not the same old Dolphins. And I think not the same old Dolphins is the perfect way to sum up what we saw last, uh, last week and the perfect way to sum up what we're seeing from this organization in general, especially with Brian Flores as the head coach. Agreed. I completely agree. There's, there's, some, there's some diamonds in this uh, coaching staff in front office. Yeah. And Saul, by the way, in the chat, yes, we did, we did touch on the buy of it and the COVID ramifications how it changes up the Dolphins' timeline a bit. I know, Nick, you touched on the fact that it doesn't change the Tua timeline uh, and it doesn't necessarily change the total outlook of the season, but we both said that, it, God, is it so Dolphins to somehow still be screwed by the Patriots without <laughs> even playing the Patriots. And, it's, like, not even yeah. fair. It's like it's like the Patriots mess up and Roger Goodell goes, okay, cool, let's talk about how we can make this affect Miami. It's like it's yeah. a plan. It's like a flow chart. Patriots screw up, Miami deals with it. Yeah, it's just that somehow, some way, Belichick finds a way to get to his division. Um, but, Nick, I think that's all you have. That's all I have, man. That was, that was fun. That was fun, It's guys. always fun to talk about a, on a Victory Monday. <laughs> always fun to celebrate a Victory Monday. Saul, Chase, Travis, Mack, everyone else who's been on to listen live on the locker room today, thank you so much for jumping on. We'll be back, as always, on Thursday to preview all of the NFL for week six. That'll be Thursday at 6.30. Then we'll be back, as always, on Friday at 4.30 to be previewing the Dolphins matchup next week against the New York Jets. Again, that's live on the Locker Room app and on recorded on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Uh, but I think that's all we got. So, Nick, thank you again for jumping um, yes. on and for everyone listening. We will see you later this week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Justin. See you later, bud.